Well, good morning, everyone. It's awesome to belong to Jesus, isn't it? It really is. So if you'd open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter 12, and we'll be picking up in verse 14. Exodus chapter 12. just want to remind the ladies that there is there will be women's prayer at 10:15 after the first service down in the large Sunday school room and it's a great time for the ladies to get together and pray about the greatest need men you know that we anyway um I also want us to keep in mind uh keep in prayer not only Today, but also for the next 10 days, Pastor Frank Jr., as you know, he's in Guatemala with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and uh, he's going to be the chaplain for the motocross camp there. And we desire to see many young uh, men and women come to know Jesus Christ while he's there. I mean, it's a very uh, poverty-stricken country, and uh, this is a great opportunity for them to be able to have a chance to do something they normally wouldn't, ride a dirt bike, but also to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, keep him in prayer for these next 10 days, I pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for you and for all you've done. And I pray that you'd continue working in our lives, that we would uh, just go beyond the physical and really start comprehending the spiritual. And Lord, I do pray for my son and uh, for the entire group of uh, people that are there for this camp. And I ask Heavenly Father that not only would these young people have a chance to have some fun, but also I pray, Lord, they'd be saved, which is the most important reason they're there. And I can't wait, Lord, for our associate pastor to come back with just such good news and so many wonderful accounts of people being saved. Put your angels' charge about him, he, and all the staff that are there, and bring them home safely to us as well, Lord. And I ask, Father, that you would anoint and use me to minister your word to these, your precious people. And now come by your Holy Spirit and speak to us, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, as we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking about just the power and the love of God, which is so amazing, beyond our ability to understand I couldn't help thinking of the fact that so often we don't consider the spiritual as highly as we should. We all understand the physical, right? We have these physical bodies, we have these physical emotions and so forth. But I think all of us are very aware of the fact that these bodies are temporary. You know, our life, James says, is but a mist. It appears for a moment and then vanishes. And so when we recognize the, and, and we know that these bodies are temporal because the greatest fear that most people have is dying. I mean, it's something we've never done before. And we know that when we die, this physical body ceases to have, have any function. But yet, every person, whether they're a believer or whether they're not a believer, whether they claim to be an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, I think everyone knows that there is something more than this body. When we think of where does creative thought come from? Where do all these emotions come from? Where do all these passions come from that are within us? It's not the body. It comes from the soul and spirit. And I think everyone has that understanding. Now, we can read all kinds of articles and go on the web and <clears throat> read all kinds of things how to make your body better. I mean, it's one of the most popular things. 
you know, on the Internet. You know, if you take this vitamin, you take that vitamin, you do this exercise, you do that exercise, you go here, you go there, and you can make the body all healthy and strong. But they don't tell you how to make the inner man healthy and strong, your soul and spirit. But there is a place we can go to that gives us all the answers and gives us the greatest advice, and that's the Word of God. We have to realize the Word of God was written to we as people in the physical sense that we might go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. But this book also speaks to the inner man. It gives us the promises that are beyond this life. It gives us promises of how we can live in such a way that not only do we feel peace and joy, but we can bring the peace and joy of God to everyone around us. And so when we're reading, uh, like we're going to be getting into Exodus here in just a moment, when we're reading Exodus, it's not just a tale of what happened, you know, uh, several thousand years ago when the children of Israel were released from Egypt. It is an account of us as well, of how we've been released from our own Egypts and taken into the promised land of God. So this book and the words that we read have such um, validity to us today in everything we do. Now, whenever we study <clears throat> the book of, of Exodus, the children of Israel leaving Egypt, it should all, always remind us of the coming exodus we have. Did you know there's an exodus coming for all believers? We're going to say, bye-bye world. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are left and still behind shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with him forevermore. The children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, <clears throat> wandering in the desert, complaining, right? And sometimes wishing they were back in Egypt. And yet there was a time they entered into the promised land. And they went in rejoicing. You and I were saved. We're born again. We're taken out of Egypt. We're wandering in this world. Sometimes we complain. Sometimes we rejoice. But there's a time coming that we're going to have our exodus from this world. And we're going to be with the Lord. And what a promise that is. What an encouragement it is for each one of us. Because when we go out and we're with the Lord, there won't be any complaining. It'll be just worship and praise and thanksgiving for all he's done for us. And uh, also one of the things in this portion we're reading that is so wonderful and such a, has such a correlation to you and I is to know for all believers, to know for all believers, the angel of death has passed over us. I'm not talking about physical death. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm talking about spiritual death. It's appointed to every man wants to die, and then judgment. In other words, every single one of us, we're going to die physically, and then we face judgment. But here's the thing. How would you like to know the verdict of your case before you even went into court? Well, we, we do. We're going to be judged, but we already know the verdict. Not guilty by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, how awesome is that? So death no longer has any fear for us, which we'll be reading a verse that uh, tells us about this in a moment. Death no longer has fear for us, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
what excitement we have with him. And it's interesting because in this exodus, it was the blood of a lamb that was examined for four days and found to be spotless that was slain. The blood was put into a bowl. We're going to read in a moment. They took hyssop and they put it on the lentil and the doorpost of the house. And then the people were to go inside that protection and stay there. And then when the angel of death came, it would just pass over them. Well, we have to realize there's a blood, the blood of the lamb, not the blood of a lamb, the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, that has been sprinkled on the lentils and doorposts of our heart. And as long as we stay in Christ, and we will stay in Christ because we love him, the angel of death passes over us. No longer does it have victory over us. In fact, uh, I want to read a couple verses, and I'd like you to follow along with me in your own Bibles. First, Hebrews chapter 10. You know, keep your marker here in Exodus 12, but Hebrews chapter 10 and go to verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. <clears throat> now, we don't know who the author of the Hebrews really was. There are many people who believe the author to the Hebrews was Paul. I think it probably was Paul, but we don't know for sure. But the author was writing to Jews. He was writing to their belief system and to their understanding in order to help them understand who Christ was and is to us today. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, go to verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. Look at what it goes on to say. Which can never take away sins. So their priests that were offering these sacrifices every day on behalf of the people could never take away sins. Verse 12, but this man, capital M in your Bible, talking about Jesus Christ, but this man, after he, capital H, talking about Jesus, had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The sacrifice has been made. Jesus Christ offered up his own blood once, never has to be repeated again. And what that means to you and I as believers, you don't have to be born again, 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 again. Some people say, oh, I was saved last year. I want to get saved again this year. No, if you were born again last year, you're still born again this year. If you were saved last year, you're still saved this year. His salvation is so complete and so thorough, it's once and for all. Now, Sometimes we, as frail human beings, we think, oh, oh, maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I need to be born again, again, and again. And the reason we feel that way is we think, I haven't upheld the expectations of Scripture. No one has upheld the expectations of Scripture except Jesus Christ. There's only one who ever walked through this world without sin. And if we're depending on our own works and on our own feeling of, of accomplishment to go to heaven, you're never going to get there. It was never us to begin with. It was always Jesus. He paid it all. Remember the rest of that song? All to him I owe. Sin had painted a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. It's always Jesus from beginning to end. 
that paid the price for our sin and has given us this great promise. And that's why we can read the next verse I want you to turn to is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read um, verses 55 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 55 through 57. I mean, this is such an encouraging verse for us. Such an encouraging verse. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. What that means is the law was given simply to show us we're sinners. The law was never given for our redemption, but to just show us our need for redemption. For we look at the law and we realize, I broke this law, I broke that law, I broke this law, I broke that law. So it just shows us, hey, I need a redeemer. I am a lawbreaker. And then when the blood of the lamb is applied, we sense and know and feel the full victory of God. Where is your victory? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. And I love this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So who gave us the victory? The Lord through who? Jesus Christ. So God's given us the victory through Jesus Christ. And what that means is you don't have to be living up to any expectation in your own heart. Well, I really need to live this kind of life, and I need to live that kind of life, and I need to be perfect here, and I need to be perfect there, and I can't make this mistake, and I can't make that mistake, but I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And we never live up to our own expectations. But we don't have to. Jesus paid the full price. The moment you committed your life to Jesus Christ, and people say, but it seems so simple to be saved. It is so simple to be saved if we only see our need. And remember, as I mentioned earlier, that was the purpose of the law, to show us our need. Forgive me, Lord, a sinner. Remember that portion? And that's all it takes. Forgive me, Lord, a sinner. Jesus Cleanse me. Take over my life. And he does. That's the God we serve. So now we're picking up with our portion in Exodus chapter 12. And if you want to go to verse 14. Excuse me. Exodus 12, 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as the feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, listen, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day they shall shall be a holy convocation. That's a gathering, like we gather together to worship the Lord. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, 
You say, oh, you can't do anything. And remember, the Jews took it to a legalistic portion of Scripture, like if, if you spit on the ground and your spittle made mud, that was considered work. And that's why they were angry at Jesus when he healed the, the blind man because they said he worked on the Sabbath. Because remember, he made mud. And they took it to a complete extreme. But look at what it says here. And it says, no manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat. And so even in the Sabbath, it was okay to take care of your, your necessities, your daily need to, you know, to prepare the food. Um, that, only, uh, that only may be prepared by you. Verse 17, so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I will never, I, I will never have, uh, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. So on the very first day of unleavened bread that was being observed, God would bring the armies of the people of Israel out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, that evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Verse 19, for seven days no leaven shall be found in your house. Since whoever eats what is leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. There were many people who were saved, who followed the Lord, who were not Israelites. We know, it tells us in Scripture, a great mixed multitude left with the Jews. Those would have been believers. Verse 20, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Now, as far as the memorial is concerned, we might call that a sacrament. And it is something we do or something we have received that isn't to be taken lightly. It is to remind us of the work of God that he has done. And when we take communion, it reminds us of the work of God in the atonement, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. God did it all. And that's why when we take communion, and on our communion tables, most often it says, do this in remembrance of me, or in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Remember John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized, and he said, behold. And now John was a prophet of God called to prepare the way for the Messiah. John knew that, and the people knew that when he was preaching in the wilderness. And when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is still the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so we have to understand it's not to be taken lightly, any sacrament, the sacrament of communion, of baptism. Now, this, the sacrificial death or the shedding of blood, as we read about here um, in Exodus, was for the forgiveness of sin. And the feast of unleavened bread was for the cleansing of sin. Remember, leaven represented sin, and all leaven had to be removed from the house. And so, by the blood of the Lamb, you and I have been forgiven and saved and sanctified. But by the Holy Spirit, we're called to live a holy and righteous life, to continue removing the leaven from our hearts. And it is a lifelong process.
understand that. For us, as I mentioned, this memorial is communion. And it is a reminder of something done for us, not something we have done. For us, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is not for seven days, but it's something to be applied to our entire life. Committing ourselves to the Lord. And you know, we have to realize it's not something that we seek after in our own strength. It's something that is um, acquired by the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now, I want you to turn to 1 John, one of my favorite epistles in the Bible. 1 John, go way to the back. If you go to Revelation and turn left, you'll find it quicker. (laughs) 1 John chapter 2. And go to verse 1. And he writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, so in other words, John's saying, you know, it's really good if you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, which we all do, <laughs> we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And that's why 1 John 1, 9, I always tell people, is my life verse. If, conditional conjunction, you have to do something about it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the grace and mercy of God applied to our heart when we have a humble heart and are willing to confess our mistakes. The problem is, so many of us don't want to ever confess our mistakes. Everybody else is wrong, but not me. Well, one of the things I find is that I'm probably more wrong than anyone else. We need to confess our sin. Verse 2. He, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. If I love Jesus... I know the things that he tells me that I should do and the things that he tells me that I shouldn't do. I need to try and attempt to apply to my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. These aren't suggestions. Well, you know, if you're going to be a good Christian, it wouldn't be a bad idea. No, this is what we should be striving after. But we have to understand that our life as believers is one of striving. We're not going to achieve full perfection. When we are fully perfected is when we have our glorified bodies and we're taken to meet the Lord in the air. But we're striving towards that perfection in this life. Verse 4, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. If his word says something and I say it's not necessary to do that, then I'm a liar and the truth isn't in me. But if his word says I should live in such a way, I need to be striving after that. Striving means that I haven't received nor will be perfect. I haven't achieved or will be perfect, but I'm striving after it. That's what I want. You know, it's kind of like the elusive workout. Every Monday, I have a fresh commitment to the gym. Every Monday. You understand the point I'm making. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we never get tired, at least we hopefully, we don't get tired of making that commitment. Because we know it's going to make us healthier, it's going to make us stronger. And in the same way, we never should tire of seeking after following the Lord according you know, to his commands. Now go to the Gospel of John. Now you're going to go left further. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting with verse 15. Actually, we're only going to read verse, uh, no, 15 and 16. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting with verse 15. If, in other words, you have to prove what, you're, what, what he's, if you love me. And the word there for love is agapeos. And we know that we have one word for love. I love my wife. I love ice cream. <laughs> you know, where in, in the Greek we would say, I agapeos my wife. I eros ice cream. You follow what I'm saying? So the word that is used here says, he says, if you agapeos, that's an unconditional love. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So I love that because it's telling us if we desire to obey his commands, he's sending the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything on our own, we're helpless. But we're born again of the Spirit. We're sanctified of the Spirit. We're going to be glorified of the Spirit. But in this life, we're empowered by the Spirit. It's only by the Spirit of God that we can do these things. And the thing we have to understand is this is not, these commands are not a, I have to obey to prove I love the Lord. It's because I love the Lord, I desire to obey. There's a big difference. One is you being prideful, I'm going to prove I love the Lord. And the other one is from the aspect of humility. Man, I love you, Lord. Help me to obey. There's a big difference. And the natural result of any loving relationship is faithfulness. Is faithfulness. And we have to realize that in this world and in this life, sometimes our faithfulness wanes. Sometimes we, you know, we, we, we fall. But that's why Scripture says we get back up. That's real faithfulness. You get back up. And uh, you've heard me share this so many times that one of my other favorite verses, <laughs> it seems that all of, my, all of my favorite verses deal with my own frailty and humanity, but one of my other favorite verses, it says in Proverbs, it says, if a righteous man... So who's it speaking of? If a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked fall by calamity. What it's talking about there is if you're a believer and you fall, you know what, proof, what the proof is that you're a righteous man that, and that you're a believer? You get back up. And you start following the Lord again. You know, it's like if you're an athlete. You know, we have our Olivia here, and she's a really good lacrosse player at St. John's Fisher. Now, can you imagine if she's running down the field and she fell and she goes, oh, this is horrible. I'm just going to stay here. The coach would be saying, get up. Do you understand my point? And so as believers, 
we might fall flat on our face. Remember Frank Sinatra's song, If You Find Yourself Flat on Your Face. Get yourself up and get back in the race. I mean, that was a silly song that he sang, and I can't carry a tune. Uh, but the point is, when we find ourselves falling down, we get back up. That's a sign that we're righteous and that we love the Lord. Now, yeast, as it's being talked about here, or leaven sometimes it's called, yeast or leaven, can also be false teachings in the church. Not just sin in our own lives, but false teachings in the church. And you might be thinking, where do you get that from? Well, turn to the Gospel of Matthew in your Bibles, chapter 16. And we're going to start with verse 6. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and look at verse 6. Matthew 16, 6. <clears throat> then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I want you to notice he's talking about two groups. These were, the, were religious groups on the opposite end of the spectrum. And he says, Behold of the leaven. And what did leaven always represent? Sin or false teaching. Behold of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <clears throat> And they reasoned, the disciples, among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. And you know what's encouraging about that? These were the apostles, or as Frank always says, the apostles. And maybe we're not even apostles. Maybe we're apostles. But the point is, these were the apostles. And yet, so often, they misunderstood the deep spiritual implication of what Jesus was saying. And that's the reason when we study the scriptures, it's so much more than on the surface. The Bible is so multi-layered, we, we could never uh, take all of it, you know, dissect all of it. There's so many layers to it. And that's why no matter how many times you read through scripture, more is spoken to you. And so here you have the apostles. Jesus is trying to teach them this deep spiritual understanding. And they're just saying, Oh, we didn't bring enough bread. You know, it'd be like the Lord showing us some deep spiritual understanding. We say, I forgot to pack my lunch. You know, well, we're going to find um, that's not what he was talking about. In verse 8, but Jesus being aware of it, he said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000, and how many baskets uh, you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, nor how many baskets you took up. In other words, I'm not talking about bread. That's not a big deal for me. I, I can take the, you know, the two fish and the two loaves, and, or the seven fish and seven loaves, and I can feed multitudes. of. I can, that's nothing for me. And then he goes on and, and says in verse 11, How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of leaven of bread, but of the doctrines, in other words, the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the super conservatives, and the Sadducees were the super liberals. And what Jesus is saying, they're both wrong. And so you have churches that are 
super conservative. Well, we don't do this, we don't do that, and we dress this way and we dress that way, and we don't say this and we don't say that, but we do this and we do that. And it's, it's all works. And no man is going to be justified before God by his own works. And then you have the Sadducees. They're on the other end. Hey, man, it doesn't make any difference how you live as long as you believe in God. You know, all, all roads go to heaven. You've heard that one. You know, those were the Sadducees. But they were being taught. Jesus was teaching the disciples that follow the doctrine that is biblical. Not the doctrine of these, you know, uh, super conservatives in relationship to the Word of God or these super liberals in, in relationship to the Word of God. Just don't go beyond, isn't that what it tells us? Don't go beyond what is written. What does the Bible say? Follow that and you'll have eternal life. Because we have to realize both legalism and license are wrong. We are called to be faithful to his word, not the teachings of men. That's one of the reasons that I feel so strongly that every church, not just ours, should be teaching right through the Bible. And those of you that have been coming here long enough know we teach right through the Bible because the only time I know that I am teaching the truth of God is when I'm going through the Bible. My opinions can be wrong. And they have been wrong maybe once or twice. But no, my opinions can be wrong, and they're wrong a lot. But his word is true, and that's why we have to stick to the word of God. And one of the things that I, I appreciate in reading this portion, too, is that the feast was considered an everlasting feast. That's what it says, which indicates that it will be also celebrated in the kingdom age. Isn't that awesome? This celebration was for both, it tells us in this portion, of the believing Jews and also the Gentiles that were going to leave with the Jews, the mixed multitude. Because Jesus died for the world, not just for the Jews. Remember? Now let's move on to verse 21 of Exodus 12. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families." And kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lentil and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. And no one shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer, the angel of death, to come into your houses and strike you. And you shall observe uh, this thing as an ordinance for you and for your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land of, and when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, "What do you mean by this service?" that you shall say, "It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians and delivered our households." So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now, 
Hyssop, when we were in Israel, one of the times we were in Israel, we actually had hyssop there. And the leaves are, are like a little small cups, so there's a, a type of capillary action. So when you dip it in, the hyssop actually, branches of hyssop actually will hold the blood. It's not going to just come right out. You dip it in, and that way you could sprinkle it on your lentil and your doorpost. And we have to understand that um, in order to receive the protection in order to receive the promise of God through his Holy Spirit, we need to have the blood applied, in a, in a sense, to the lentil and doorpost of our heart. And that's the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, they were also to stay in the house until the angel of death passed over. And there's great meaning to that. Remember the parable Jesus gave about the doorway to his house? And he said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road which leads to life, and only a few find it. It's a narrow gate, so the only way anyone is going to find that gate is when they realize their need. You know, that's the reason when you have people say, oh, you know, I'm as good as any person, I'm a good person. They don't see their need. They're never going to find the narrow gate. The narrow gate is not hard to find or hard to see if you recognize your need. And that's the reason uh, oftentimes when I'm praying for people that I love that aren't saved, I don't pray, oh, God, give them everything they want, make them prosper, make them you know, healthy, make them wealthy, make them this, make them that. Because that's not going to help them see their need. I always pray, Lord, whatever it takes for the eyes of their heart to be open and they see their need, to see their need, do that, Lord. Because I'll tell you what, we're so concerned about someone's physical life, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should be. We pray for one another. But the greatest concern we should have is about their spiritual life. Because our physical life, as I mentioned earlier from James, is a mist. Just a mist. Gone. But our spiritual life is eternal. That's what we need to be praying for. That people would truly, truly be saved and be part of the household, the family of God. That's where the protection is with the blood of the Lamb. Remember the, um, the fact that we all know our needs and our desire in seeking deliverance but sometimes after we've been delivered, we easily forget. Oh, God, help me with this. Please help. Lord, if you help me through this, I'm going to love you more than ever. I'm going to read every day. I'm going to be on my knees and pray. Please help me through this. And the Lord delivers you. And then time goes on. And, well, you know, I'm pretty busy. I don't know if I have time to read. I, I, I just, today's going to be too hard for me to kneel down and pray. You follow what I'm saying? But the minute we need deliverance, the, the, you know, the very moment difficulty comes our way, oh, God, I love, you know. But what we have to start learning to practice is not only when we see our need for deliverance, but even after we've been delivered, we still worship him with all our heart and all of our soul. Now, and of course, the reality is that we always need to be delivered. We don't, we don't see it, but we always need deliverance. That's why I love in Colossians 2.6, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk with him. 
So just as we received him in the need of deliverance, walk with him as in the need of final deliverance. Just as Jesus promised Israel a homeland, they would be going into Canaan, their homeland. He has promised us a homeland. It's called the New Jerusalem. And that's the promise for every believer. And when the people heard Moses' message, it tells us here that they bowed their heads and worshipped. Then they went their way and did just as the Lord had instructed. His message should still cause us to bow our heads and worship and to seek after him all of our life. You know, it's one thing to just... That's why when people say to me, I'm a religious person, are you religious? And I say, no. And, and of course, there's a little shock value there, and they say, what? I thought you were a pastor. What do you mean you're not religious? And I explained to them that religion is man's attempt to achieve a relationship with God, climbing his own ladder to try to get to God. Where what I am is I'm a man of faith, and I believe God has come down to redeem me. I can't get up to God, but he came to me. And so it's not a matter of religion. Religion is a bunch of man-made rules and, and doctrines and so forth where true faith is loving the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. That's true faith. Believing his word, seeking after him. And that gives us a peace that really does surpass all understanding. You know, how can you have peace? Everything's falling apart. Everything in this world might be falling apart. But my home's in heaven. My home's with the Lord. Because... When everything is falling apart here, I'm going to be going up. And I'll tell you, like I shared last week, there are so many prophecies being fulfilled and have been fulfilled in our lifetime. In order not to recognize the times in which we're living, you'd have to be willfully blind. There are none so blind as those who will not see. It's here. We're in the time. I don't know the day, I don't know the month, but we're in that time. Scripture says that we're to be aware of the season, but you are children of light, not children of darkness. We're supposed to be aware of the times in which we're living. And everything that's happening in the world is like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The thing that's interesting, I mean, I don't know how many of you actually um, take time to find out what's happening in the Middle East. Everything's being set up for Ezekiel 38. And uh, there's just been a little bit of a conflict between Russia and Israel just this week. But we don't hear anything on our news. You turn on the news 24-7 and all you hear is politics, politics, politics. Right? It's all you hear. There are real things happening in the world that we know nothing about. We're a very ignorant people when it comes to real news, when it comes to what's happening in the Middle East. Everything is being set up, brothers and sisters. And I remember Rich Hayward used to sing a song. Maybe we'll get him to sing it again sometime. And the name of it is, Are You Ready? Well, the only thing we have to do to be ready is to be born again. And that's why if there's anyone who's not born again, you need to be. Well, how do I do that? Just go to the Lord 
on your knees in the sanctuary of your own heart and just say, God, forgive me, a sinner. I accept the sacrifice of Christ on my behalf to be born again. Come and take over my life. And the moment you do that and the moment you say that, it has happened. When I was saved, when I was born again, I didn't have electricity going, lightning didn't flash off, and I didn't have bells ringing. When I confessed my, my heart to Christ and when I was born again, I was on a 40-foot ladder. You know, I, I was a school teacher, and in the summer, like most school teachers, I painted houses. I mean, isn't that what school teachers do? And I was up painting a third story, you know, soffit, and I just cried out to God. And I didn't have lightning, I didn't have bells, I didn't have whistles, but something changed in my heart. Something happened. And I'm thankful for that day. Father, we come before you in Jesus, Yeshua's name, and we thank you for your word and and for the Holy Spirit and the way he's able to just continue to work in our hearts and lives. And we ask, Father, that the words that we have heard expounded on this morning would encourage us in our walk. Come and minister to us. Father, we just afresh commit ourselves to you. And we pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.